0: Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi
1: Yosef Weinberg. Middle of chapter 11, page 975. Yeah. So it is only through the words and the letters that a person reveals what is going on inside of him and that leads a person to speech and then to action, because you don't act not before you think and, and then you speak about it and then you act on it. So in order, the words and the letters give the emotion shape, a shape, a form, and it's only when you're able to think about your emotion and you're able to understand it and describe it, then you're able to think about it and you're able to speak about it and you're able to do something about it so too, although creation, the motivation of creation, creation it comes about through God's emotional attributes, but there cannot be any revelation of these attributes unless there is words or letters, Hashem's letters, the divine letters, that express these emotions and communicate these emotions and reveal these emotions and bring it out into into reality. For example, Hashem created light. Where does light come from? Light comes from Hashem's emotional attribute of chesed, of love. Light has the features, the characteristics of love, giving indiscriminately. Light is very effusive. Light is generous. The same light will illuminate a palace and will illuminate a garbage dump. Indiscriminate. It's warm. It's attractive. Um, Expansive. Expensive. So, but how do you get from God's emotional attribute to light? So, Hashem had to form the words and the letters, the letters of, 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 of light, or, of Resh. So it's only these words and these letters that are able to convey and to communicate and to express and to reveal and to bring into action, bring light into action. That light should become an entity. And that's the utterance, there should be light, the very first utterance, there should be light. God said there should be light, and the first day God said there should be light, and there was light. So although the first day was actually... Primarily the emotional attribute of love, but to get from love in order to create an entity, the entity of light, Hashem had to speak and bring into words and bring into letters the the attribute of, of kindness, of love. And so that's the analogy of words. Of course, God doesn't speak and there are no physical words, there are no physical letters, but just like in the human analogy, it's only through words and letters that you're able to communicate and you're able to convey and to express your emotion and that leads you to action.
2: You say God doesn't speak but in the Torah He, he spoke to Moses.
1: So he doesn't, it's not physical. God doesn't have a mouth and He doesn't...
2: But the term speak is... Human. Ah,
1: exactly, because that's the human analogy, just like the human analogy. The purpose of speech, the purpose of words, the purpose of letters are... Although words and letters are, are inert. Words and letters are just vehicles. Just but at some point there has to be something physical. It creates. God created something physical. He created something physical. But letters the words are- and letters itself are, are, are spiritual. It's divine speech. It's God's speech. Okay. That's how he starts up the chapter. That even the divine speech is also godly. And it has the ability to create. So not only are God, God's emotional attributes godly and divine, and God and his attributes are one, but even God's speech is also divine. It's God's speech. So it, never Moshe, left, it never left the divine realm. What did Moshe hear? But the purpose, Moshe heard God speak. The Jewish people heard God speak at Mount Sinai. Their ears heard God, God speak. But the, the, it's divine speech. And that's where their souls passed out in ecstasy. They were overwhelmed. They became nullified. Their existence was completely nullified because they experienced the divine firsthand. See, even when God is speaking, even though speech is the most external part of a person and the most superficial part of a person, but nevertheless, it's your speech. So well, even though even though so so too, when we say God speaks, and speech in comparison to the content of the speech, how can you compare the speech to the content of the speech? The content of the speech is internal, your personality, your character, your emotions your your love your your, 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 your hatreds your your things and your, your comprehension these are all internal parts, while speech is seemingly very external, speech is interchangeable, speech is external. Speech is just inert, it's just a vehicle, it's just a communication to speak to yourself through thought and to speak to others. So how can you compare the content to the word? But nevertheless, even the speech and even the word, it's your word and it's your speech. It comes from you, it's your words, it's your speech. So too with God, that although in comparison to the content, which is the divine emotional attribute, speech, is the lowest attribute of God. It's like the most external, the most superficial. It's the point of communication and contact between God and creation. God creates the world through words because words is for the, other, for the benefit of someone outside of yourself, the other person. In God's case, it's God's words that creates the other person. Without God's words, there is no other person. God has no one to speak to. There's no one to talk to. There's no one, no one other than God. There's no other reality but God but it's God's words that creates an entity that senses itself as being separate, as being independent, as being egotistical. So how can you compare God's words to God's, so to speak, to, to God's emotional attributes, to God's personality and character, so to speak? He says, but nevertheless, these are God's words, and they're divine, and they're inseparable from God. And, they're, and they, because the words express the emotions... So the words are, are just like the emotions. God's emotional attributes are inseparable from God. So too, the words, God's divine words, are also inseparable from God. And they are divine. And that is why the, the divine letters, the Hebrew letters in the Torah, the divine letters actually have the power to create. God creates the world with the divine letters, with the, the Hebrew language. These are the building blocks of creation. They actually have the power to create God speaks, and something comes into existence. God said there should be light, and light came into existence. What, what? Is any
0: significance to the fact that the hay was added to the name of Abraham and
1: Sarah? Yeah, sure, and, absolutely. You know, like, in terms of like, I, I think the word is the letter hay, or I heard something. I'm not sure. about the letter hay. Absolutely, um, the letter hay is versus the yud, sarai. The Yud is a point, the smallest letter of all the letters. He is very expansive. It's three dimensions. So He enabled Sara to communicate, to give birth. The Yud is very internal. It's very deep, it's very profound. It's the subconscious, it's the creative ability. So it's all internal. There's no communication to outside, to anything outside. In order to give birth, in order to reveal, in order to... Hashem had to add the hey. By changing it to a hey, Hashem enabled Sarah to be able to give birth, in order to reveal, in order to communicate. The same as with Avram. The word Avram, Kabbalistically, is made up of two words. Av, Ram. Av, the father which refers to wisdom, which is the creative ability, which is the father of the whole conscious, conscious world, it begins with creative spark. Rum means it's elevated, it's, it's transcendent, it's removed, it's, it's so elevated. It's the highest level of human consciousness. So it's so remote, it's so abstract, it's so elevated. And by adding a hey to Avraham, tra- changing his name to Avraham, Hashem enabled Avraham to be able to begin to communicate, to begin to teach, to begin to publicize, to begin to be able to reach out to others. And, and, and really this was an elevation for Avram, because to be able to communicate, you have to understand the subject matter much, much better. You have to have a much deeper, much truer understanding of the subject matter. <clears throat> The teacher can communicate, it's not because he's so deep. It's because he's not deep enough. The teacher is able to communicate because he's so deep that he's able to communicate clearly in a simple language. All the world classics are at a ninth grade level. If you meet a professor who's highfalutin and no one understands him because he doesn't understand either. If you don't understand, you can't explain it. So if someone has to hide behind highfalutin language and talk in university-level language and no one understands, it's because he himself doesn't understand. Einstein could speak to a five-year-old. and could be crystal clear. It's the person who's a little befuddled and bemuddled in his own mind that doesn't have a crystal clear understanding of the subject. It's not a master. The master could speak to a five-year-old child. The real master. The one who's not a master could only speak in a very highfalutin, esoteric, abstract language that no one understands, including himself. But someone who's clear thinking, someone who's crystal clear, could explain to a five-year-old child. So the fact that Avraham, his name was changed, is because he was elevated. Hashem elevated him. That he reached the level that now he was able to reach out and even to communicate, even to simple people. The same concept. She, she, was, she was able. She was able to give birth. She was able to reveal. The act of birth is a revelation, an re- expansion, opening up. Before that, she was very right. Very the yud, very a dot, a point. And there was no. There was no re- ability to reveal or expression or expansion, like changing the name to the hey, adding the hay he was able to, she was able to uh, give birth and extend and expand. Um, so that's, that's the name of a change. But uh, yes, every letter, every letter changes a name. When a person is very ill, you add a name because it's a new channel. It's a new channel of life. We add a name of Chaim, of life. You want to draw down a new channel, a new energy everything is in the Hebrew language. Everything. This is the divine language, and God creates the world. These are the building blocks of all creation. Your Hebrew name. That's why your Hebrew name is so important, because it's it's that's the channel of Hashem. That's so how Hashem is uh, creating you, and Hashem is sustaining you, and Hashem is guiding you. It's all through these, this energy. So, the divine letters, the divine words, are the actual building blocks of creation. So, the divine energies, but they. But the words channel the energy. The words contain the energy and allow the energy to come into an entity, just like in the human analogy. Emotion, if you just had emotion, but you had no words to contain the emotion, to describe the emotion to yourself, and then to describe it to others, and then to lead, to lead you into action, you would, never, it would, you, could never, you would never lead you to action. So the words convey the emotions and bring lead it into action. So too it's the divine words which come from the divine emotions. But these words are able to convey the emotion and bring it into action. They're able to take God's emotional <clears throat> attribute of love and convey it into light. Suddenly light is an expression, is a creation from God's emotional attribute of love, because it has the same quality, the same idea, the same and then also you have, for example, he says if you have a different name, a different letters, you come up with a different entity, although they share the same source. Also comes from the emotional attribute of love. You have water. Water also has the same quality. Water is giving, water is life sustaining, is nourishing, is nurturing. Water connects things like a glue. Water finds the lowest spot, just like someone who loves to give loves to help and whoever there's a need loves to fill that need water will always fill the lowest spot and so the nature of water is also love and kindness the opposite of fire fire is strength fire uh, fragments and tears apart and fire is the exact opposite fire burns and water, water is, is connects so it's it's but here is also, uh, shears the same source like light, which comes from the an- emotional attribute of love, but it's an entire different entity. This is water, this is light, because it has different names, different letters, different channels. So therefore it creates a different entity, a different expression, a different form, a different expression of the, of the emotional attribute of love and kindness.
0: What element expresses gavura? What element expresses That's Ash. That's the exact opposite.
1: Well, fire is Fire.
0: Even though it, its nature is to
1: Yeah, but that, that create, is fire. fire. Fire is elevation. Oh. That's gavura. What is strength? Uh, strength okay. comes strength comes because strength limits. Why does strength limit or strength takes apart? Um, for example the rain comes down very hard or the blood the blood within a person that's Gevura that's strength it's life it's vitality it's strength but sometimes you have to be careful because if the if you have too much the blood is too intense you can end up with a stroke Mm. you can shatter the vessel Mm -hmm. you have to be careful when something is intense you have to make sure that the vessel is able to receive it Mm. so therefore therefore you, you start limiting are you worthy? Can't just give you indiscriminately. I'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. Hashem will give too much rain; <laughs> it'll just destroy. You. Mm-hmm. So you have to. You have to judge. You have to see if you're able to. Are you able to receive? Right. 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 Mm-hmm. You? Welcome. On page uh, nine seventy-seven. So you have to judge if you're able to. Um, if you're able to. If you're able to uh, receive, if you're able, and that's why Gavudra is very limiting, Gavudra is very strict. Are you worthy? That's like the teacher who's very tough. Are you worthy? Are you ready? Are you up to par? It demands excellence. Love is giving indiscriminately. You're worthy, you're not worthy. I'm, I'll just give you. I'm giving. But the strength is very demanding you have to have vessels you have to have vehicles you have to you have to um, you have to limit you restrain because if you give too much you're going to destroy if you give a child something that's inappropriate you'll destroy them you're not helping them oh I'll give you whatever you want you'll destroy them you to, a child needs boundaries a child needs limits if you place a, a kid in a grade in a two grade that's too high for him you'll destroy his mind you're not helping him you give something, someone that's inappropriate. You give a child a four, five-course dinner. <laughs> you give a baby a five-course dinner, you kill the baby. But I love him. I want him to have the best. French cuisine and everything, ribeye. And yeah, but you'll kill the baby. We can't handle it. You have to be very are you? What are you worthy of? What are you able to receive? And therefore, you're very demanding. I don't let anyone in. Are you worthy? Are you up to par? Only demand excellence. I'm not just going to throw the doors open and everyone can come in. I'm so loving and kind. I'm going to dumb down standards and everyone can come in and everyone is welcome and everything is... What do you mean? That, that's, that's not strength then. The strength is the opposite. I'm going to put guards at the door. Fences. Are you ready? Are you worthy? I'm demanding. Live up to it. Are you, living? Are you pushing yourself? Are you worthy of it? Are you, are you, have you reached excellence? Are you able to receive this gift? Are you worthy of receiving this? Gift? Are you able to handle it? So it's very intense. Kavura is intense. Fire. It's intense. It's powerful. But it said that
0: God first created the world with justice and then felt it was too much. It sounds like you know he would start with love and then say oh, we have to limit this, but instead he was tough and then said, No, this is too tough, so now I why well, did he start with Kavura? Because
1: we learned earlier, because the whole purpose of creation was that God wanted that. We should we have our independent being, and we should willingly enter into relationship with God. you know we have choice, we have freedom of choice, and we have challenges, we have difficulties, and godliness is hidden, godliness is concealed, we have healthy egos, and we have to work our way back, we have to climb the mountain God wanted us to climb the mountain but if it would have only been Gevura then it would have been a Mount Everest mm. how many people are going to climb Mount Everest one in a, one in a million mm. not even mm. how many people are going to climb how many people are going to make it so if the world was only Gevura the concealment would have been so thick that, that it would be impossible for us to achieve our goal. The goal was not to hide for hiding's sake. The goal was to hide in order that we should transform the darkness, in order that we should overcome our handicaps, overcome our limitations, and climb the mountain. But, but God saw that we wouldn't be able to handle it. It would be too, too hidden, too concealed. So therefore, He illuminated the darkness. He had mercy. He illuminated the darkness through the miracles, the wonders in the Torah, and all the tzaddikim, up till the Rebbe, and he illuminated the darkness, and therefore, he showed us grace and illuminated darkness, so it made it easier for us to be able to detect godliness, to sense godliness. So this gives us strength to be able to overcome, rise to our challenge, but even then we see how difficult it is. Can you imagine if we didn't have that? (laughs) We didn't have all these miracles. We didn't have all these revelations of Godliness. We didn't have the tzaddikim. We didn't have the rabbis. We didn't have. I mean, then it will be. You'll forget about it. It will be almost impossible. Even now, how look how difficult it is, and we still struggle. Yeah. So Hashem had mercy, and He says, you know, although that is the goal, the goal is because in the divine attributes, the attributes are not separate. What appears to be strength and restraint and toughness is really also love. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way the world could exist. If there, was no sen- if there was no hiding, if God was not hidden, then it would defeat the whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation was that we should be independent, we should sense that we're separate from God, and we, and our own, should be able to overcome that. And we should willingly choose, deliberately and willingly choose to enter into relationship with God, and to connect with God. And that's the whole meaning of life. That's the whole purpose behind the hiding and the concealment. So it's really it's for our good. It's really all for a positive purpose. It's really the ultimate act of love. It's like a parent hiding from a child. A parent hides from a child, a parent allows a child to fall, a parent allows a child to make all the mistakes, because the parent is doing the child the greatest favour. Otherwise you have parents who never leave go of their children. And the, children and the children are 70 years old and they're still they're still living with their parents. So this is the ultimate kindness when the parents are able to cut the umbilical cord and the parents, as painful as it is, allow the child to be on their own, allow the child to fall, allow the child to make mistakes. But granting them the biggest gift they can give them is independence, that they can become their own person. They can, they can flourish, they can grow, they can learn and they can, and life, they can own their own life. So to Hashem, it's the ultimate kindness. Yes, it appears Hashem is hiding, Hashem is concealing, but really, what's the purpose behind it? The purpose is really all positive. It's an act of love. It enables us to exist as independent beings. And that's the biggest gift that God can give us. Because God is independent, the only one who's really independent. And instead of us being like angels, angelic and heavenly, who are totally dependent beings, And have zero zero independence. And therefore, everything they do is really almost meaningless because, I mean, of course, they worship God. And what's the point? Of course. They have no choice. (laughs) Godliness is overwhelming. And Godliness, there's nothing else. There's no other reality. God gave us the ultimate gift. He hid himself. He gave us a world filled with challenges, filled with obstacles. But everything that we do is independent. He gave us the gift we, we can become equals and partners with God. We can become godlike. We can become independent. We take the initiative. It's our accomplishment. We own our lives. We own the good things that we do. We own it. It's our decision. After struggling and overcoming difficulties, we own that. It's ours. And that's the most precious gift that God can give us. We become partners, equal partners in creation. We become godlike. We become godly. We become givers and creators. And we take initiative and we do things. We give tzedakah and we, we create good things and we do good. That's the ultimate gift that God can give us. To become godly and godlike. But the only way to achieve it is through hiding. Through concealment. That's why God wanted to make the whole world conceal. Because then it would have been even more, a greater accomplishment. It's so hidden and it's so dark and yet even in such a world we're able to transform that darkness into light. God says, hey, listen. <laughs> it's too much. They won't be able to handle it. As it is, they can't handle it. So he threw in a lot of light and he shined a lot of cracks in the wall, a lot of light. The light should come through. The light should penetrate. The miracles and people like the Rebbe and Sadikim and... Well, you know, so, so when a Jew sees a miracle and you experience a miracle it like hits home and there's a God in this world it's a wake up call it's a reminder and that gives you strength to be able to choose the right thing and do the wise thing and do the right thing and, and so Hashem threw in he had Rahmanas and he mixed it with with the kindness but initially yes he wanted to create the world through, through Elohim through hiding because that was the whole purpose but really it's the ultimate act of love the ultimate act of kindness.
0: So when Mashiach
1: comes then? Oh, Mashiach, will come, will, Mashiach will come through our effort, through our transformation, through all the thousands of years, through the darkness of exile that the Jew has been transforming darkness into light. Challenge into opportunity, questions into answers, bitterness into sweetness, negativity into positive. That as a result Mashiach it's a result of our efforts a result of our work so we are partners we made this happen we're not just bystanders we're not just passive observers we are equal partners we paid the price it's our blood our sweat our sacrifice our faith and hope and trust and joy and confidence and good deeds that brought will bring that is bringing Mashiach is bringing all this about so we are partners in this so then when that happens it's our own it's our achievement it's our accomplishment we feel like we own it it's not like it's handed to us on a silver platter which the Zohar calls bread of shame Things, anything that's handed to us on a silver platter it's a bread of shame it's like in heaven the soul was in heaven it's an insult heaven is an insult Heaven is everything is handed to you on a silver platter you're in the king's palace yeah, the royal palace, everything is handed to you on a silver platter. Everything is easy, everything is obvious, everything is simple, self-evident, everything is transparent, there's no clouds, there's no, there's no uh, shade, everything is crystal clear, everything is illuminated. That's an insult, it's a slap in the face for the soul. I didn't earn anything, I didn't achieve anything, it's not honest, it's not real. But the soul comes down to this world. And, you know, every step that we make, every move that we make is an accomplishment. It's an F. It takes effort. It's a personal achievement. It takes sacrifice. We transform bit by bit, day by day, step by step, mitzvah by mitzvah. We transform physical matter into spirituality, into godliness. We transform darkness into light. Then we've earned it. We've accomplished it. It's our accomplishment. We're partners. Hashem gave us the greatest gift in matter. Only God is a creator. Angels are not creators. Only, only human beings... Have that gift. No other creature in the entire universe has that gift. Not the sun, and not the moon, and not the stars, and not the angels, and not animals. No other creature on earth has that gift that a human being has: the ability to choose, the ability to create, to be partners with God in creation, to be to be like a God, godly, godlike. That's the ultimate gift that Hashem. Has. So it's the ultimate kindness. Hashem's hiding is the ultimate kindness, like the parent stepping back, watching the child. Can you imagine how painful it is for the parent to watch the child bump and fall and hurt themselves? But the parent restrains themselves. That, that's gavura, strength, restraint. The teacher who pushes, pushes a student and stretches them and pushes them to the edge. It's the ultimate act of love because he believes in the student. He loves the student. So he's, he doesn't accept mediocrity. I want the student to stretch. I want the student to be the best they can be. I want them to excel. I want them to be surpass themselves. I want them to really tap into their potential and live up to their potential. So, yes, it appears uh, to be an, uh, it's like tough love. It's, uh, the teacher is tough on me, and the teacher is unforgiving and unyielding, and he, he pushes and un, you know, relentlessly. But it's really that's the ultimate act of love.
0: <laughs> it seems that oh, way.
1: That's why Hashem has rahman. Sometimes human beings don't know. Sometimes human beings are too tough, and they don't know. You have to have love, and you have to have a balance. So, Hashem saw that it would be too much. Yes, that is the goal, and that is the purpose, and that is the ultimate act of love. But it, it would just be too much. We couldn't handle it. Even now, we can't handle
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes so
1: therefore, Hashem mixed in Rahmanas. He mixed in Rahmanas. So there, was, there is revelation of Godliness from time to time. Hashem shows us some miracles. Once in a while, Hashem shows us uh, some open, obvious miracles. If
0: we're all united, so even if someone is trying valiantly, then you've got someone who, oh. you know, and then you've, you now you hit it on the nail. Which influenced them to
1: now you hit it on the nail. Now you hit on as The Rebbe said, he once said that when the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, before he passed away, he said, "What's going to happen?" He says, "Firstly, there's children. He had many children, and his youngest child became the next Rebbe." Even if he passed away, there was another Rebbe to take care and to lead and to illuminate. And and then he said, the other option is, he says, when Hasidim will be together, will be united, Mm. you'll be able to overcome everything. Mm. So the Rebbe concluded. He says, in our generation, we don't have the option number one, because the Rebbe Rebbe had no children. So all we're left with is option number two if Jews would be united, if Hasidim would be united, then we have all the strength in the world we need. Because even if one person, one Jew, has a bad day, the other Jew is having a good day. We all have our cycles. So if we're united, we strengthen each other. And we draw strength together. And when Jews are united, you know, no force in the universe could stop us. So that's where we draw strength. That's, that's the answer. We have the key. The key... To bringing godliness into the world and to strengthening and to finding inspiration is unity. We strengthen each other, and that's the challenge. That's the greatest challenge we have. That's why. That's why that was so devastating. What happened in Israel is because it was Jew against Jew. It was Jew expelling another Jew. Instead of Jews uniting and fighting our enemies, we turned one Jew against another Jew, and that's devastating. Because then, then the, you know, that's the only strength we have. Is The only light we have is unity. When there's unity, there's light, there's illumination, there's blessings. There's when you pit one Jew against another Jew, and you have politics, and you have divisiveness, and you have a Jew and politics, is a lethal, a lethal combination. Because the whole strength of a Jew is unity, and politics divides. Conservative, liberal, right wing, left wing—these are all artificial barriers. What you know, we have a Jewish soul. It Doesn't matter if you're liberal or you're conservative. You have a Jewish soul in all one. So the right hand and the left hand, the right, the liberal and the conservative—what? It's, it's 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 inseparable. The right hand is going to slap the left hand. The left hand is going to slap the other hand. It's going to, it's going to evict the left hand. The left hand is evicting the right hand. It's absurd. So that's the challenge, that's the challenge that the Rebbe left us. The last and the Rebbe spoke before he had the stroke. It was in the parish of Ayakel, where Moshe gathered all the Jewish people together. And that's what the Rebbe spoke about, unity. Because that's the only, there is no other answer. The only way we're going to bring that illumination today, we don't have. Physically, with our flesh and blood, with our flesh, I, we don't see the Rebbe. We don't have that revelation we had since the time of Avram, since the time of Adam. We always had the tzaddik. You could see it with your own eyes. And that was an inspiration. You needed inspiration. You went to 770. You saw, saw the Rebbe in action. It gave you an inspiration. Now you don't see it. Where it? are you going to get that illumination? Where are you going to get that, that Rachmanus? That Hashem mixed in the rahmanas, the divine illumination. So it's unity. There's unity. Then there's blessing. And then there's illumination. and then there's That's the divine illumination. But Hashem saw that you can't only strength is not going to work. You need kindness. You need love. You need you need compassion. It's a beautiful story. There was a Jew. He was on a business trip and he sees this whole commotion and he, he runs over and he sees that this person fainted. What happened was this person borrowed money from all his neighbors and he came to the city to do business and and uh, you know he, he he lost his wallet. And uh, he was devastated. And he fainted. He realized that he, he can't come back home. And he lost all his money. And plus he owes. And who's going to believe him? They'll, they'll, they'll say he stole his money. And every time he, they revived him, he reminded himself what happened. He fainted again. Because they, they told him that it was, it was, something happened. Anyway, this rabbi comes over to him and tell him. And it happened like a few times. They couldn't revive him. The rabbi would tell him. Next time you revive him, tell him that it's a false alarm. Someone found the wallet, it's, it's all okay, you have it. That's exactly what he told him. And a minute later, someone comes by and he says, yeah, I found his wallet. He turns to the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, are you a, a miracle worker? What's, what's this divine inspiration? Or you, what are you, uh, a holy person, a prophet? How did you know? He says, no, it's very simple. God does not give a Jew or any person a test they can't handle. I saw that this person can't handle it. He just couldn't handle it. He just, it was overwhelming. He just fainted. Every time they revived him, he remembered he just couldn't take it. I saw this is too much for him. He couldn't handle it. I knew that this, was, this it couldn't be true. This wasn't his test. Because he can't, he can't deal with it. Hashem does not give a person a test to take an eye. That's why Hashem had Rahmanus. And he mixed in, when he created the world, he mixed in Rahmanus. He mixed in that the world should not be so penit, so dark. There should be some light Although it appears to be that this moment right before Mashiach, Hashem brought (laughs) the most intense darkness the world has ever experienced Mm -hmm. before. But this must be the last moment. Um, And uh, surely Hashem has Rachmanus and is going to illuminate this darkness. Years ago, someone
0: explained the British thing to me, Um, using an example, um, and I want to know if that's how you see it all, That there are times that say we will Show kindness, show kindness to people and sometimes rather than showing appreciation um, or just accepting it, then at times they could be actually very prudent in return? Or,
1: Well, I mean, the nature of kindness is you give to someone indiscriminately, whether they're worthy or not worthy, and it's more a self-expression of you, so it doesn't matter if the person... Is able to receive and not able to receive if it's a genuine kindness. And again, a genuine kindness. Mm-hmm. This there kindness that's not really kindness, it's just weakness. This kindness where a person is just, uh, you know, just wants to be loved and therefore they think that, you know, if I'm, I'll do anything for people to like me. That's not kindness, that's weakness. That's a person who has no, uh, no, that's a lack of self esteem. That has nothing to do with kindness. But a genuine kindness where a person is very, He's just doing it out of love he just loves to give and loves to share and if the other person is not worthy and the other person is not ready you know, that's his problem but uh, it doesn't stop me so then then you're not so you're not so offended you're not so taken aback it's not you know you, you, you don't lose your balance because the other person the other person doesn't receive so it's really if
2: it's true kindness if it's true kindness you don't, you don't really look to receive
1: anything right if it's true kindness you, you don't look to receive anyway it's it not about right but if a person's kindness is coming from for other reasons, see a lot of people think they're kind, but really it's all—it's it's nothing to do with kindness. It's just insecurity, and you just want to be loved and liked, and therefore, they, that's not genuine. That's not coming from inside. That's coming from a very dysfunctional place, and therefore, and that usually does not generate good feelings either, because you really you're giving to the wrong people, and all you're getting back is empty negativity. So it's—it's it's, that—that's nothing to do with kindness. That's insecurities, but genuine kindness. uh, Right? Genuine kindness is selfless, and genuine kindness is giving, and and um, so that's that's that you're not affected by the other person. So that's the two. He brings two examples of things that were created from Hashem's emotional attribute of kindness that we find that was there during the first day of creation. Hashem said there should be light, and there was light, and then the world was filled with water. So again, water existed the first day, so water, again, is a a result of the attribute of Hashem's divine kindness and love, but each one of them have their own name, their own Hebrew letters and their own Hebrew name because they are distinct entities. Uh, Water has its properties and and the light has has its properties. Uh, So it's the letters and the words, the Hebrew letters and the Hebrew words that convey the emotional attribute, and bring it into action. And that's the function of the divine utterances. That's what the Torah means when we say that God speaks, that God spoke. And he brought his emotional attributes into letters, expressed it in letters and words, and therefore was able to create, created this physical entity with its unique entity called water, unique entity called light. So, I think we're in the bottom of 976, That where we left off?
2: Accordingly all life forces and powers which issue from God's holy emotive attributes to the lower worlds to create them ex nihilo and to give them life and sustain them are called holy letters. These are the flow of the life force from his will and his wisdom and his emotive attribu- attributes to bring worlds into being and to give them, and give them life. These worlds are created by the letter These worlds are created by the letters are of two kinds, hidden worlds unrevealed, which come into existence and live and are sustained by concealed powers and life forces, like, for example, the letters of thought in the human soul. Just as the letters of each man's thought are concealed from others, these divine powers are similarly concealed from created beings. From them were created the hidden worlds, and worlds revealed, which were created and lived from the revelation of the hidden powers and life forces called letters of thought. When these letters of thought are in a state of revelation in order to give light to the revealed worlds, they are called utterances, and the word of God and the breath of his mouth. Like, for example, the letters of a man's speech which revealed to his listeners what was concealed and hidden in his heart, Likewise, the divine letters of speech are a revelation of the force that grants existence and infuses life into those created beings that are, are of the category of world revealed.
1: Okay, so he said that there are two types of words, there two types of letters, two types of communication, of speaking. There is an internal speaking where you speak to yourself through thought. Thought is really a form of speech. You're speaking to yourself. You think in words. You don't love in words. Two plus two is four is beyond words. A concept is beyond words. A pure concept, pure comprehension. And pure emotion is beyond words. A pure experience. But when you think, you think in words. But thought is for yourself. You, you communicate to yourself. You're speaking to yourself. Words are in order to speak to others. You don't, if you're alone, you don't have to speak. You think. You like to be alone, you think. You speak. Speaking is a social act. Speaking is, you speak to others. You reveal what's going on. You reveal what you're thinking. You reveal what you're feeling. You reveal what you're experiencing. You reveal what your your understanding, your insights, your will, your pleasure. You're revealing it to others. So speech and and, uh, thought our only only the only difference is, is degree. They're both the same quality. Basically, they're both both basically speech. They're basically communic- words and letters. The difference is you speak to yourself, you speak to others. Um, of course, the when you speak to yourself, it's internal. No one knows what you're thinking. Some people speaking don't no know what they're speaking. Of. <laughs> but you think to yourself, no one knows what you're thinking. It's internal. Um, you think much quicker than you speak. For every thought that you have may take you five minutes to think. You may need a half hour to explain it. There are some people who before they Yeah. Um, as, as the great, uh, there was a, a two Rashi yeshivas, two leaders of two deans of yeshivas. One of them would speak for twenty-three hours. And the other one would speak for hours and hours. And the other one would would give a lecture, would give for one hour. He says, what's the difference between me and my colleague? He says, my colleague thinks for an hour and he speaks for 23 hours. He says, I think for 23 hours and I speak for an
0: hour. Mm
1: -hmm. So when a person thinks what you think a few minutes, it takes you much longer to express in words than what you're thinking. Another difference between thought and speech, you never stop thinking. Can't. you can't stop thinking you can stop speaking but spe- thought is constant <laughs> even, when you, even, even, when you dream, even when you're sleeping you're thinking you're dreaming you don't stop because thought is connected to your soul just like your soul doesn't stop you stop living so you can't stop thinking speech I can turn on I can turn off some people turn on you turn off I can stop speaking I can close my lips I can I can I can can listen I can speak I can stop you don't speak constantly because thought is much more closer to the soul although thought is thought like speech is external to the soul it's words it's letters words are inert words and letters are dead they're inert they're just a container they're just a vehicle you can put whatever you want into the words It can carry anything. You can carry junk, you can carry something, you can carry gold, you can carry whatever you want, whatever you put in, it will carry. I can use words to to explain and to communicate and put into words the most refined feelings, the most subtle thoughts, or I can use words to think the most disgusting word thing. It's the same word. Words are words. Words (laughs) are just a vehicle. Whatever I put in, it will carry. It's a vehicle, it's a container, it's all it is. It has no life of its own. Words don't grow. Words are dead, inert. It has no content of its own. I can switch words. I can change words. You can't switch emotions. I love or I don't love. It's very difficult to switch emotions. I understand or I don't understand. It, it's real. You can't pretend. Either I get it or I don't get it. If you get it, you get it. It's finished. You done. It's done. You get it. Two plus two is four. I can't understand that two plus two is five. I get it. I understand it. I can't understand otherwise. It's real. It's genuine. It's internal. It doesn't. It's not interchangeable. Speech and and thought is clothes. It's called in the Kabbalah and Hasidism, It's called clothes. Just like clothes, you can change clothes. You can change clothes three times a day. I can I can put on a dramatically a dramatic suit and I can put on a dull suit and I can change shmatas suits. I, <laughs> I can I can I can wear. I, you can change. It's interchangeable. It's external. You can't change your hands. Okay, let me take off my hand and switch my hand today. (laughs) I'm going to use another hand out of the closet. Let let me switch my fingers. That's part of you. You can't change what's part of you. So just like you have part of your body, you can't change. So too you have part of your internal body, your internal soul, your personality, your character. You can't change. It's not interchangeable. Your personality is your personality. Your character is your character. Your emotions are your emotions. Your, Your comprehension is your comprehension. That doesn't change. It could, but that's very difficult to change. A liberal can turn into a conservative. A conservative can turn into a liberal. A liberal that's mugged turn into becomes a conservative. So, it, but it's very difficult to change because it's genuine. It's internal. It's real. But thought, speech is external. I can change like a suit. I can turn on. I can take it off. I can take it on. I can use these words. I can use other words. I can think two plus two is five. I can think two plus two is three. You know, if if. I, if if, uh, if I'm s- subjected to enough propaganda, I can say anything. I can think anything. I can say anything. So that's, that's external. Clothes are external. Words are external. Letters are external. And thought and speech. But nevertheless, within clothes itself, within, ex- within that itself, clothes is much more eternal, internal. Clothes is very near to the soul. It's very near to the person. Just like the s- soul never stops, so too you never stop thinking. And, and thought is internal. I don't know what you think. Speech is external. You speak, everyone hears. <coughs> and you can stop speaking, you can stop, start speaking. So, too, when we say that God creates the world through words, through letters, there's two types of creations. There's the creations through God's thought, so to speak. When God thinks, so to speak, that brings entities into cre- beings, into, cre- into being. And when God speaks, He creates. So when God's words are in the level of thought, when the words and the letters of the Ten Utterances are on the level of thought, God brings into being the spiritual realms, the angels, the heaven, which is very close to God. They sense their source, just like thought, although thought is external. But thought is close to the soul. It's almost like an extension to the soul. It's like the soul doesn't stop, you can't stop thinking. It's more internal. So too the angels and the heavenly beings sense the source. They sense godliness. That's why it's heavenly. It's blissful. It's illuminating. It's transparent. It's self-evident. They sense godliness. And they're always connected with godliness. And they're consciously connected with godliness. They're consciously aware of their source. They sense Constantly sense God. They're constantly singing and praising God. And they're constantly immersed and connected with God. Mm-hmm. Just like the fish in water. The fish is connected with its source. The fish leaves its source of life, it dies. It's immersed in its source. Total immersion. So too, and, and, and they're hidden beings. You look at the surface of the ocean, you don't see that it's teeming with life. You don't see anything. Because they're swallowed up in their source. So too, when you, look at, when you look, so to speak, at an angel, you look at a heavenly being, the heavenly being is like swallowed up in its source. It senses godliness. It's, it knows that it has a source. It senses its source. While our world, the material world, we come about through God's speech. When God speaks, just like when a person speaks, it's very external. It's one step further removed from the person. Therefore, a person could stop speaking and speech is to the outsider, to the other person. And speech leaves you. Thought never leaves you. Thought is internal. But speech, once you speak, the other person receives it, it's gone. It's, 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 it's detached, it's objective. So too, God, through God's speech, God uh, brings down, it conveys from God's emotional attributes, it conveys and creates the physical entities, the physical entity of light. Not the spiritual entity of light or the divine entity of light, the heavenly entity of light. It brings the physical entity, of light, physical water, because when God speaks, He creates an entity that's external, that's totally separate from God, that's independent, that senses itself. It doesn't even sense its source. It doesn't even sense its source. Unlike the heavenly beings, when you look at a tree, you don't see its source. You don't see its divine source. Even, you, 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 even if you, you look at yourself, you know that you're alive. You sense your life, your energy, your life force. But you don't you don't sense it's divine source, you don't sense it's divine connection, life is a miracle only God has the power to create and when you sense your life, you don't sense wow, this is divine you sense wow, I'm vital, I'm alive, I'm passionate <laughs> what does that have to do with God? that's the disconnect, because it's external because we are as a result of God's speech which is more removed and more external although the truth is even God's speech is really... there is a speaker. You know that there is a speaker. The person who's listening... you don't speak to a tree. You don't speak to a stone. You speak to someone who's on your level. And the person who's listening... Is, knows... yes, the speech leaves your mouth... and the speech leaves you... and now has an independent being... and you can't take it back. It has an independent reality. But nevertheless... There is a speaker. So even in speech, even though it's not like thought, you're not swallowed up, you're not immersed in your, in your source, but at least you know that there's a speaker. But then, what happened is that God concealed himself to such an extent that we don't even sense that there's a speaker. We don't even sense it, that, that there's a speaker. So much so, that even the letters and the words became totally scrambled. It's like the equivalent of taking words and letters which are perfectly coherent. You see a word, it has a meaning. Take the same letters and scramble the letters. What do you have? Chaos. Meaningless. Gibberish. So God created... An external existence that's that's even further from God. But then God went another level, and this world is like a riddle. This world is like a puzzle. It's meaningless. It's so far removed. If you have a word, you have something that's coherent, at least you know that there's a speaker. It makes sense. Someone is speaking, there's a coherency, there's a message. But then God scrambled the words, and he scrambled the letters. And the world is like a riddle, a puzzle. You see this gibberish, and you have to figure it out, how am I get, what's the meaning? I don't see any meaning. I just see, I just see a lot of noise and uh, signifying nothing. My life, I go through my life, my life is fragmented, and throughout the day, I may do hundreds of things. I don't see the connection. What's the connection between the first thing I do in the morning the the last thing I do in the morning? I go through dozens of uh, dozens of things that have no connection. Everything becomes so fragmented, and this world becomes like a riddle. Is there a meaning? Is there, is there a coherent theme? Is there anyone, is there a source? Is there anyone speaking? Is there anyone, until, until you even doubt if there's a, the atheist even doubts and denies that there is a source, and there is a God, and there is a, um, a root, and there is a, a, a meaning, a coherency, a theme, a purpose. So this is the concealment, the, the tzimtzumim, the, the uh, tremendous amount of tzimtzumim and concealments that God took his words, and he took it even a step further. He scrambled the words. And he created a riddle and a puzzle and it becomes so hidden and so concealed and this is the mission of a Jew. We have to do the... We have to figure out the puzzle. We have to find... We have to, do, we have to, do the, we have to break the code. We have to do, we have to do the crossword puzzle. We have, to, we have to figure it out and put all the letters together and find, find the coherency and find the meaning and find the purpose through Torah and mitzvot. We discern and detect and discover, oh, here's a word, here's a meaning, here's a purpose. This is how you put it together. This is what it's all about. We have to, right, we have to scramble, we scramble the code. We are, we are the code breakers. We are, we are um, <laughs> and that's the, that's the task of the Jew, that's the mission of a Jew. To reveal, bring it back to its source. Bring everything back to its source. Well, suddenly, now you have a coherent word. When a Jew does a mitzvah, now you have a word. Hashem spoke. He gave us a commandment. And when you take that physical object and you fulfill that commandment with it, now suddenly you have a word, you have coherency, you have meaning. Now it all makes sense. Now it all comes together. There's a speaker, there's a connection. Now it comes alive. Now it has meaning. Otherwise it's just a fragmented, concealed, hidden, pointless, meaningless chaos on the surface. And that's really the mission of the Jew. So God spoke and the world came into being. God spoke in words and letters and that externalizes the world that creates the external world and the revealed world, just like speech reveals what's going on inside, versus thought, which is internal and hidden, which, with which God creates, through God's thoughts, God creates the hidden worlds, the concealed worlds, the divine worlds, the, 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 the heavenly worlds, the heavenly realms, the hidden realms, the abstract realms. And then through the external, through speech, God created the revealed world, just like speech reveals what's going on inside, God created the revealed world. And then, ultimately, God even took it a step further, which He discusses elsewhere through the Tzimtzumim, at least when there's a speaker, at least you know that there's someone speaking. Where it became so disconnected, so divorced from its source, from its reality, you don't even realize there's a speaker. You don't even see a word. You don't even see any coherency. You don't see any meaning. You just see a scrambled gibberish.
0: Not just that. If we're supposed to what the code, it's who suffered more than the Jew? That's the ultimate.
1: Well, that, thats we'll well, that's, that's part of the that's part of the riddle. That's <laughs> all. The, that's all part of the puzzle. That, that's mm-hmm. all part of the riddle. Um,
0: Simpson is when God contracts Himself. Is that right?
1: Yes. Tim God contracts himself, concentrates himself, contracts himself, hides, conceals. That is also part of the ring. Because again, it's not what it appears to be. Anti Semitism, the answer to anti Semitism is found within anti Semitism. What does anti Semitism prove to us or show us? Because the Jew has the power to unite the world like no one else. We have the power to concentrate the world's attention like no one else. So that's the answer. How are you going to use that ability? Are you going to unite yourself? Are you going to be divine? Are you going to be godly? Are you going to put the words together? And then the whole world will come together. The whole world will become coherent. The whole world will elevate human consciousness. You'll transform and revolutionize human consciousness. If you are coherent, if you are crystal clear, if you are moving in the right direction, if every Jew in the world did one more mitzvah, Mashiach would be in a second. We revolutionize human consciousness. We'd all come together in a split second. Today, this moment, it's so doable, so simple. If every Jew did one baby step, one tiny mitzvah, more than we were doing yesterday, from the greatest Jew to the smallest Jew, Mashiach would be here today. It's that simple. It's mind-boggling. It's so doable. It's so practical. It's it's right here in front of our eyes. Open your eyes. It's right here. You have the key. Unlock the door. You're right here. Just cross the threshold. Unlock the door. It's all there. You have all the tools. You have everything. Everything is ready. Everyone is hooked up. Everyone is wired. Everyone is connected. It's all there. It's up to us. Every one of us. Together.
0: Would you say that I mean, Now we have the opportunity, but maybe at other times, even though I know the temple and so on this is because of our Saints. issues, it seemed like we didn't really have the power. We had a, you know, it would have been miraculous. And, and yes. it, you know, we had
1: we to and We always had the ability. Yeah. But then it would have been a total miracle.
0: Oh, I see.
1: And so what? Mm-hmm. So we could have, it should have been a miracle. But, but now we see we have the ability like never before. Right. I mean, what we take for granted is a miracle. Yeah. Television is not a miracle. If someone told a thousand years ago that you're sitting in New York and I can see what's going on in Moscow, it's a miracle. Who can see? I can see, I'm sitting here and I can see what's going on in Moscow. It's a miracle. I can hear someone thousands of miles away. I mean, we take it for granted. The tax machine, it's a miracle. So today all these miracles are... are, 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 are if anyone had a doubt, the concept, you know, it was a great tzaddik, the Choyza of Lublin, he was able to see miles away. Physically, he was able to see what's going on. The Baal who came to Baal was able to see anywhere in the world was going on, with his eyes and all the rabbis. But but now we have television and radio and internet. And today you have today we have the navigation guides. You know, in your car, what's it called? The GPS. GPS. So if if you're on the wrong track, suddenly from heaven you get a voice: <laughs> turn right, turn left. It's like Hashem is guiding us. You know The whole concept that Hashem is watching us and Hashem is guiding us and divine providence and the eye that sees and the ear that hears. Hashem sees every action, every move that we make. Everything is recorded. Everything registers. Everything matters to Hashem. Hashem is deeply involved, personally involved in every step of our life and every detail in our life. to the tiniest detail. And if, if we go, go off track, Hashem suddenly sends a GPS or whatever it takes and, uh, or a cast and puts you back in the right direction you know so it, it, it's amazing so these are all miracles so you're right now the world is ready now the world is it's so open it's so you just have to open your eyes and realize the truths and the realities
0: so we Jews have more power to, to like make a choice like we ne- have right? more
1: power. like never before and the world is hungry the world is eager the whole world is eager. Eager for the Jew to step, step up to the plate and take leadership role. From Madonna on down, all the Goyim want, want to be Jewish, want to connect to something Jewish. They're just waiting for the Jew to take the leadership role and to act like leaders. Waiting for Israel to act like leaders. The Jew. To take charge. Take the bull by the horn and, 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 and live up to their potential and act be the leaders of the world, the spiritual leaders of the world. And so it's all up to us. And now, it's, now you can see it. It's right. It's not a question of faith anymore. A hundred years ago, it was a question of faith. You're right. Mishdetl, to believe Mashiach can come, was pure faith.
0: Well, they were doing the mitzvot, but again, they...
1: It was really pure faith. Listen, Hashem could do anything. It would have been a divine miracle. Now, how would the Jews in Poland know the Mashiach came in Russia? There was no way of communication. How, it would take a month <laughs> to get the news. Hmm. The whole thing would have to be miraculous. Today, in mm-hmm. one split second, everyone is wired. Everyone is hooked up. Just in case not, everyone has their phones and their PDFs and their beepers and their, and their instant... Uh, instant uh,
2: Blackberry. Blackberry. So,
1: every, everything is in place. Now Mashiach will come in on, one split second. Everyone will know. Everyone Everyone is ready. So now it's, you can see it. It's reality. For example, God makes some miracles to some person. Is it because of the rightness? Or is it because of the, the merit of the... And and well that's a very good question um, the question is asked what right does a Jew have to pray Hashem I need a healing please heal me Hashem my business is going bankrupt please help me we know who we are we know that we're not worthy we are worthy we're not worthy what right do we have to come from Hashem Obviously, if this is happening to me, maybe I'm not worthy of a blessing or such a... uh, I'm asking Hashem for a miracle? Am I worthy of a miracle? It's almost chutzpah. What right do I have to stand for Hashem? Heal me. You're not ashamed? You know what you did yesterday and the day before. You were selfish. You were self-centered. You were disgusting and horrible. You never have time for me. You never come to shul. You never learn. You never daven. You never do a mitzvah. You have no time. You're so busy. All of a sudden, now you want a miracle. Oh, hello. Now you found me. (laughs) I mean, mean, it's almost chutzpah. Okay. But, so the commentary say no. Because if you believe in Hashem, you also have to believe in Hashem's mercy. Hashem can do a kindness even if we're not worthy. Don't limit Hashem. Don't put Hashem in a straitjacket. Hashem likes to do good. And He likes to do good even if we're not worthy. So don't limit Hashem. Hashem can only do good only if we're worthy. No? And if we're not worthy, Hashem can do us a kindness. So, miracles... It can either happen because we're worthy. It can happen, like you say, because the merit of our ancestors, of our parents, we're living off the interest <laughs> of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Or it can happen because Hashem has Rahmanus. He's our father. And we're his little baby, his only child. Every Jew is his only child. And he loves us beyond description, every one of them, from the best, from the worst to the best. And he just loves to do kindness. So it could be an act of pure love and we have to receive it and welcome it and thank Hashem and maybe of course after we have such a blessing if Hashem blesses us we should show some appreciation and get our act together and start living a little more godly life, a little more divine life
2: so we could actually be more worthy than we think we are I mean in doing and things like that because we always have a feeling we're not doing enough which in reality is true but it could be that some of us are doing...
1: You know. It's a very, very wise statement from a very wise man. Sometimes, sometimes you f- it feels like Hashem demands 500% and He gets 100%. Hashem demands so much from us because uh, He has faith in us. That's why Judaism is so pushy. Hashem is so demanding because He has faith in us. He knows we can do much more than we ever imagined. So he's constantly pushing us and demanding more, demand more of yourself. But sometimes maybe Hashem is really demanding 500%, and he's getting 100%. Because as this great Shepal the great Hasidic master once said, he says, he turns to God, he says, if I did not see with my own eyes a Jew doing a mitzvah today, I could not believe it. This was, this was 200 years ago. He says, the world is so dark, and it's so difficult. And if I did not see a Jew pick himself up and do a mitzvah, so for that alone you should bring Mashiach. If that was true 200 years ago, how much truer is that today? When the distractions, 24-7, 500 television stations, and 24-7, and the the garbage and the junk that's out there. You were Chinese on
2: television also on the... That's
1: that's the positive. So... um, The fact that a Jew is able to overcome all these distractions and this sometimes very hostile environment, an environment that's very hostile to anything spiritual or wholesome or godly or genuine or good or deep or real, everything is so artificial, everything is so superficial, everything is so external, so egotistical, So it's almost a place that only snakes and scorpions could feel at home, not not, not a human being. Um, and yet within that environment a Jew goes forward forges ahead and does a mitzvah and studies Torah and grows and moves forward this is tremendous and Hashem appreciates it immensely there was once a the group of the Alter Rebbe's Hasidim and there was a very Hasidic uh, community a very Hasidic synagogue and there was a Jew there he was like the playboy of the town he was a real bum and the Jews you know, the Hasidim tried to bring him closer, made him feel at home, and shul. And one of them asked the Rebbe, you know, years went by, and, and they didn't see any change, didn't see any improvement, you know. He enjoyed hanging out there, but then he would go at night and have fun. And, um, and he said, what's, like, what are they, what's the point? Should they continue to try to bring him close? They don't see any results. The Rebbe answered, listen to his answer. He said, the author of this tanya that we're learning, the Rebbe said, if this Jew with thoughts, ten negative thoughts a day. And as a result of you bringing him closer, instead of ten negative thoughts, he only thinks nine negative thoughts. You can't begin to imagine the infinite pleasure, the undefined pleasure that that gives to Hashem. You can't fathom. You can't even begin to understand the infinite pleasure, how much pleasure Hashem takes that this Jew, instead of doing ten negative things a day, only did nine negative things. A day. He was able to overcome, he was able to break his ego, a drop a little, he was able to overcome his negativity, just a drop, just a baby step. You can hardly even detect it. We can't detect it, but Hashem detects it. And Hashem's infinite wisdom, <coughs> Hashem's infinite reality, it's infinitely worth it. It's beyond description. And that gives Hashem infinite pleasure. So continue to be and continue to bring them closer. Because we don't measure these things. We don't know how to measure these things. The smallest movement in this world, as Al Tarabi writes elsewhere in the Tanya. It's like the sun. When we see the sun, make a tiny movement from one place to another place. When the light of the sun shifts in the course of the day, do you know how many millions of miles the sun has to move in heaven? to make that slightest movement on the sundial, the sun in heaven moves millions of miles. But in this world, it it shows up, all you detect is a tiny slight shift, a slight movement in the sundial. The same thing is vice versa. The tiniest movement in this world, one positive thought, one positive speech, one positive good deed, or the ability to overcome, instead of thinking a negative thought, ten negative thoughts, you only did nine negative thoughts, you can't begin to imagine the impact that that has in the heavens, in the spiritual spheres, in the divine spheres, to Hashem Himself. It gives Hashem infinite pleasure. We don't know how to measure these things. But we are the center of the universe. Everything that we do has such an impact beyond our imagination. Only Hashem knows how to judge and to evaluate. You're right. Only Hashem knows how to evaluate the real worth. Sometimes we do, we do a small thing, we think it's small. And to Hashem it's unbelievable. Sometimes we think we do a big thing, and Hashem, it's nothing. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to evaluate these things. Sometimes one mitzvah compares versus 30 negative things, because it took sacrifice to do the mitzvah. It was, it was, it was genuine. It was from the heart. And some, so we, we don't know how to measure these things. It's not a quantity thing. It's a quality thing. And every individual is different. So we, we really don't know what's going on inside. Never judge a book by its cover so on, there was a woman from Canada when the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe came to America in 1940 and she was very supportive of his institutions in Montreal but she was not religious she was not observant and a few, a few, one time she had a private audience with the previous Rebbe and she says, you know Rebbe I'm embarrassed but you know you, you know I'm not, from, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not religious I'm not firm the previous Rebbe says my tochter, daughter, daughter my daughter you know, says, is from." We don't know who's from. Who who knows what's? Who knows how Hashem looks at a person? Who knows what's going on inside? What's really going on? Sometimes a person could be on the facade. He's very religious, very from, but inside, there's nothing there. There's nobody home. Garnish. It's a facade. The garnish. It's just an act. It's just external. Just conforming. Just just dead, soulless, passionless. No life. No care. No relationship. No love for Hashem. No. It's just meaningless. And then you have a Jew who, you know, did one thing, but it's so genuine, it's so from the heart, it's so pure, it's so real. Who knows? Who knows how we judge these things? Never. Only Hashem knows how to evaluate. So you're right. And that's why a Jew is obligated to view himself every day of the year, every moment, to view himself and the whole world as being on an equal scale. And by each and every one of us doing one more mitzvah, we have to believe that that's the mitzvah that can tip the scale. That's the mitzvah that can bring Mashiach. It could be the tiniest thing. Because when the scale is equal, all it takes to tip the scale is one tiny pebble and you tip the scale. It could be a huge scale. But if, when it's totally equal, you just add the tiniest pebble and the whole scale shifts. So by us making the slightest movement forward, a positive thought, a positive attitude, a hopeful thought, a hopeful attitude, trusting thought a loving thought, or by saying a loving word, a kind word, instead of saying something negative, saying something positive, something encouraging to another person, giving another person a smile, doing the smallest, giving another person a penny, doing the smallest, smallest thing. This, you have to believe, that this can be the last mitzvah, the final mitzvah, on top of all the other mitzvahs, that this will tip the scale, and you will be the one that's single-handedly responsible for bringing Mishnah. Can you imagine if 14 million Jews Every one of us, every Jew living in the Upper East Side lived with that thought every day of the year, every day of the week, that I can be the one to close the deal and bring Mashiach for every Jew that ever lived and every Jew that ever will live, for all of history, for all eternity. I could be the hero, I could be the one. And what do I have to do? Nothing, nothing earth shattering. The tiniest move mitzvah, the smallest mitzvah. That was the Rebbe's message. That's the mitzvah, that's the Mashiach campaign. That to get every Jew to live with this, with this thought. And then if every Jew will make one baby step forward. With the merits of our parents, our ancestors. But we will be the one who will close the deal. We will be the one who will create that critical mass. In science, you know, you have to, create, you have to reach a point of critical mass. Things could be building up and building up. And then, you just... That tiniest movement forward and suddenly critical mass. And it spreads like wildfire and it's unstoppable it's like you're climbing you're climbing and then suddenly you just go over the tip and then you're unstoppable and then Mashiach comes and we're, we're, we're right there do
0: you think there's a potential for, Mashi- for Mashiach in every generation?
1: There, there always was a potential but now it's beyond potential now it's reality now it's going to happen any split second we are going to live to see the so rebuilding of her third temple there, there always Mashiach? was there always was but we're beyond that. We're much more than that. this. Is not just another potential, and God forbid, Mashiach will come in the next generation. Mashiach is coming. It's all ready. Everything is ready. It's going to happen in a split second, and any one of us could be the one who can push it over the over the. What makes our
0: generation the generation
1: Mashiach? How is it possibly asking? How is it that the generation of the why, Boshemt they have to ask Hashem? I don't know why, but but because. We are the lowest generation. We are the bottom of the feet. But you know the bottom of the feet can
0: actually go it can,
1: can, go, can go places no one else can go. When the head wants to go to the library, it needs a healthy soul to take it there. So we need good souls in the feet. We are the souls of the feet. We are the lowest generation, the last generation, but we are the ones who are going to carry the whole body. We are the ones who are going to lead the whole organism because... It says, when God showed Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the answer to your question, and then we'll stop here. It says, Moshe was the most humble Jew that ever lived. Why was he so humble? It says, God showed him all future generations. And he was especially humble when he looked at our generation. He was totally humble. Moshe was humble to our generation. The lowest generation of Jews, the midgets of the midgets of the midgets, Moshe, the giant of the giant of the giant, felt totally humble to our generation. Why was he so overwhelmed? God showed him our generation. Because for 3,800 years, a Jew had an ulterior motive to be Jewish. He had no choice. You were a Christian, you were Muslim, you were Jewish. He saw miracles. God took you out of Egypt. Uh, Of course you were Jewish. But he looked at our generation. After being in exile for close to 2,000 years, after Holocaust and pogroms, and assimilation, even the streets in America were trey, were not kosher. With people through tefillin overboard on the way to America. It was impossible to keep Shabbos. People convinced themselves it was impossible. It was very difficult to keep Shabbos. And it was so easy to assimilate. And it was a melting pot. And you have no ulterior motive to be Jewish. Why why stand that? On the country you have every ulterior motive to melt and disappear. You're accepted as an equal. And we haven't seen God in 2,000 years. And yet, hundreds of thousands of Jews, without any ulterior motive, without even the benefit of a Jewish education, on their own, have come back to Yiddishkeit. Moshe was floored. He started crying. He says, this is, this is the greatest generation of Jews. That's why they're the ones who are going to lead the whole Jewish people, including Moshe himself, who's stuck in the desert. We are going to be the ones who are going to lead him into the land of Israel. Because our generation proves that what began with Abraham was genuine. It wasn't conditional, a certain milieu, a certain environment. Take the same Jew and put him in an environment, an atheistic environment, a materialistic environment, an environment, a post Holocaust environment, an environment that's totally cut off, an environment with aggressive atheism, whether it's communism or or Western materialism. And take this Jew. And this university, which is aggressively atheistic, insulting, and humiliatingly anti, and take put a Jew in such an environment and look. 70 years after communism, 80 years after communism, Judaism is flourishing like never before. All over the world, Judaism is flourishing. Jews feel at home everywhere in the world. It's flourishing, it's growing, it's thriving. The greatest renaissance of Jewish life we haven't seen in millennia, thousands of years. This proves that the Jew is eternal. The Torah is eternal. God is eternal. Our relationship to God, our marriage to God is eternal. So we vindicate the Jewish experience. We vindicate that the sacrifice of our ancestors was not in vain. That the the life that they lived was not external or because they had a certain education or because they dressed a certain way or because they lived in a very religious environment. Take the Jew out of that environment and put him in the 21st century with all the mishagas that's going on around us and the syrupy, superficial, skin-deep, distorted junk life that we're all exposed to every day. And yet, even in such an environment, On their own, without any external prompting, without any ulterior motive, on their own, hundreds of thousands of young Jews have reconnected to their core, to their essence, to their Yiddishkeit, to their pintli. Yid. That's why our generation is going to be uh, the one. It's
0: written that the world only exists 6,000 years. I don't know where it's written. Yes, in the Talmud, yes. In the Talmud, okay. Now, how do we know that it's not going to happen
1: closer to 6,000 cool. years? <laughs> we're ready, we're and ready. 5, 7, something, 6, 4. 5. Well, a lot has to happen before the year 6,000. Firstly, Mashiach has to come. Secondly, afterwards, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. All of this has to happen in the next 234 years. Mashiach is supposed to be a reward. So... Let's figure this out. We're in exile for two thousand years, just this current exile, and we never really recovered from the first exile. So, really, we're in exile from the f- destruction of the first temple, or the or this, the dispersion of the of the ten tribes. So, we're in exile for for close to three thousand years. And you're telling me that the reward is going to be for a minute, for a day, because as it is, there's no time left. Shia has to come. Then 40 years later it be the resurrection. Then comes the year 6,000. So he's saying all this tremendous sacrifice and all this tremendous effort and all this tremendous heroic work of all the tzaddikim and all the Jewish people and all our ancestors who went through fire and water, who were faithful and loyal to God through pogroms and inquisitions and all of this. Hashem is going to say, oh, okay, I have one minute left. Okay, here's a little reward. Goodbye. Mashiach is late. He's way, way, way over the- matter of fact, the Talmudic rabbis in their wildest nightmares, there's not a single rabbi, there's not a single deadline at this late date. They all passed long ago because in the, in the worst nightmares, no tzaddik, no prophet, no individual could even imagine that so late in Jewish history we'll still be in exile. The temple will still not be rebuilt. Mashiach will still not come. It's beyond belief. Mashiach is so overdue. The baby is so overdue. The mother is so overdue that it's not even fun. So it's no question. We are moments before Shabbat. We are seconds away from Mashiach. All the signs have been fulfilled. All the great rabbis of the last hundred years have said, if you open your eyes and open your ears, you'll see that Mashiach is imminent. Any moment, any second. We are the generation. This is it. So there's no question. This is it. But we have to put our finger and fast forward button, not be passive observers. We are participants. By doing that one mitzvah, Every one of us could be the one to close the deal. Like the story will conclude with this the story of the Tzema Tzedek. The Tzema Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the grandchild of the, the Balatanya, once told this Hasidim. he says, Mashiach is ready to come, but he's waiting for the last Jew to do that last mitzvah. So the said, Rebbe, tell us where that Jew is. We'll run to Australia, we'll go to the end of the world, we'll let that Jew do that last mitzvah and clinch the deal and put an end to, to Yiddish Hitzaras. So 150 years ago, so the Rebbe said, The Rebbe smiled. He looked at the Hasid and he said, maybe it's you. (laughs) So if every one of us live with that thought, then we can close the deal. Shia will materialize tonight, and next week's class will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself on the Upper East Side of Yerushalayim.
0: Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.